0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. So if you're visiting with us, my name is Luke, and I'm just one of the pastors along with Jared and Rusty. and. Last time I got to uh, preach to you guys was a few months back and on parenting and uh, I preached for 55 minutes long. I had no idea I went that long. And so I promise you we'll go longer this morning. So <laughs> Actually, let's uh we're going to shoot to cut that time in half this morning. So <laughs> um anyway, um we're going to be in Judges chapter 2. I just want to share with you guys this morning some things I've spent the majority of 2015, um, working through the book of Judges, and it's been quite eye-opening just to see my own heart (laughs) in that book. I'm not unlike Israel in the book of Judges, so uh, I'm just going to share with you some things that I've learned that I've had to apply myself, and uh, hopefully it will be uh, a blessing to you and that we will all leave here this morning uh, love more in love with Jesus and what he has done and accomplished for us. So Judges chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 10. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down the altars, their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bacchum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua dismissed the people of Israel, uh, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in, Timna, in uh, Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim. North of the mountain of Gash and all that generation who was also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we have your word that we can that just exposes our own hearts. See and just personally seeing my own. Sin and my own rebellion against you and uh but thank you, Father, that the Spirit comes alongside and reminds us of Jesus and his work for us and knowing that uh his death on the cross satisfied your wrath and carried all my sin and all my shame. Father, we want to leave here more in love with you, and I pray that uh just for these next few moments we will, so do that and make your name famous in our lives. Amen. You ever heard the saying, stop and smell the roses? Um, I was asked that in a job interview at one time, and I'm not good at stopping to smell the roses. I, uh, I'm good at stopping, I'm just not good at smelling the roses. Um, and I just felt, I, I left the job interview and I just started thinking about like, wow, how how could I not answer that? Like, Do I really have a hard time stopping and smelling the roses, taking a look back, and But as I think more and more about that, um, I do enjoy thinking back. Like, everybody loves thinking about memories, right? I mean, think about a childhood memory that you may have. Like, you're looking at old pictures. And uh, my mom is one of these moms that she has every picture ever taken in a photo album. And she likes to get them out and look at them. And she likes to rope me into it sometimes. And uh, she loves to reminisce. Or maybe you look at old pictures of your children and you think like, oh, how could they have been so small? And you know, you just, floods of memories go about your, go through your mind when you think back. Maybe we're coming at the end of 2015 and maybe on December 31st, you'll spend some time thinking back, remembering what was it like at the beginning of 2015, where you are now at the end of 2015, how the previous year went, all the events that happened. And don't we all have stories that no matter, and memories that are etched in our minds that no matter how many times we think about it or how many times we tell it, it always brings us laughter, always brings us joy. But at the same time, we all have memories that fill our hearts and minds with sadness and pain. We all have memories that cause hurt in our hearts. And I, I want to hope to show you that how we think about these memories are extremely important because they impact our lives and even more important. And I believe for, the, for us, it's absolutely necessary that we think and reflect and remember on who God is and what he has done for us in 2015 and in our whole lives. And I think that's what this text is going to be getting at. So let me just do some context to catch us up where we are with the children of Israel. So Joshua has led them out through the, into the promised land, and they have all the land that God has covenanted to give them, had promised them that they could have, and now Joshua has died. And in verse 10, the whole generation that that Joshua was a part of has died off, and there's this new generation that the Bible says they did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Now, this is not a, a mental knowledge, like they just had no idea who the Lord was. It's the fact that they were not remembering what God had done for them and made that central to their life they had not rejoiced in the fact of what god had how god had journeyed the children of israel to that point how he had taken care of them they were not valuing and treasuring their story and who god is and what he had done for them so let's just think back to what god had done for israel that they were not remembering because that's exactly what God goes to there in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. So quick history recap of all the work that God had done for Israel. One, he calls out Abraham hundreds of years earlier and says, I'm gonna prom- I am going to promise you, I'm going to covenant with you to give you a land. And then I'm going to bless you in that land so you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. Well, it wasn't long. Israel, through a series of events, ends up in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And through their cries, the Lord hears their hears their cries and says, I'm going to deliver them. So what does he do? He raises up Moses, sends Moses to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. He says, no, no, no. Ten pla- After 10 plagues and just going back and forth and back and forth, okay, I'll let your people go. No, I changed my mind. After the final and tenth plague pharaoh says okay enough israel get out of here but on their way out he changes his mind again so he wants to go after them and what do we see happen there they're at the at the edge of the red sea here comes pharaoh's army they're frantic so what does what happens god parts the red sea they walk on dry ground they get safely to the other side here comes pharaoh's army God closes up the sea, and Pharaoh's armies drown. Not only does he do that, during their course of of in the wilderness, when they're going to the promised land, he provides for them over and over and over again. He gives them a, the Bible says, a, a pillar of cloud by day to guide them through there because they didn't know where they were going, and a pillar of fire at night to help them uh, keep them warm, give them light to see. Wasn't long after that, they're thirsty in the wilderness. They don't have the only water around. The Bible describes as bitter water, so it's undrinkable. What does God do? He turns that water into good water for them to drink. They're hungry. They're complaining. They don't have anything to eat. They've run out of food. What does God do? He sends manna. So every single morning while they're wandering in the wilderness, their food is on the ground for them to pick up and eat. After a while, they get tired of eating manna. They wanted some protein, so God sends them some quail. So now they have quail and manna. They get thirsty again. God causes water to come from a rock. Then they get to the edge of the promised land. They're about to go in, but what is separating them there is the Jordan River. Again, God parts the Jordan River. They cross. Now, now we get into the, if, if that isn't, alone enough of to show how God is caring for his people. You get in there and you have battles like the battle of Jericho because now here are these people that God has told them to drive out and they're a lot larger. They're a lot stronger. They're a lot mightier than Israel. So you have radical victories at Jericho. You have God actually holding the sun still in the sky, in one, so that they could win one battle. He stops the earth from moving, spinning, so that they could win more. There's clever victory after clever victory that God is taking his people on. Everything God had promised and coveted to do, he did without fail. And yet this new generation has failed to cherish these things. This new generation after Joshua has failed to not rejoice in what God is doing for them and has done for them. This new generation has failed to keep God's story central to their life. In other words, this new generation had forgotten the gospel, or rather the good news that Jesus that God has come and rescued them out of slavery and brought them into the promised land by unbelievably gracious, kind, unexplainable acts of power. And the Bible says that as a result of their failing to remember was that they became rebellious and disobedient to the God who had done all of these wonderful gracious things for them. One of my favorite authors is Tim Keller. And he says, the root of disobedience is essentially a failure to remember who God is. God sees that any failure to obey is a failure to remember. Israel had failed to remember who God is. A gracious, loving, kind Father. And they had failed to remember what he had done for them. By always protecting providing and working miracles through them as they journeyed to the promised land. And the result of Israel's failure was catastrophic. I mean, failure to remember was catastrophic because they did not believe that God was. What happened is they began turning from him and believing that other things could provide what God had provided for them. Verse 11 real quickly says that the people, did, uh, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baals or other gods, little idols. They turned from worshiping because they did not remember who God is and his works that he had done for them. They, he, they caused him to, re, to turn from him and turn to other little gods. Tim Keller says they believed that they could find their source of security. Identity and power ultimately in something else other than God. And you see this played out in Israel's life because God tells them to drive out the uh, inhabitants of the promised land because He's given it to them. And what do they do? They don't do it. Instead, they want to find security. So they, because these nations are more powerful and more strong, appear more strong than Israel, they make treaties with them. They want to be secure there. They forget their identity as the people of God. And start worshiping and taking on the identity of the nations around them, and the result God says is that they have that these will become thorns and snares to them that means they become enslaved to them they become addicted to these idols it's robbing them of joy making them miserable and i just want to say this is exactly how it happens to us today look i'm going to let me share you a a personal example in my own heart where this just rang loudly as i studied this passage and learned from it so most of you know i'm in medical sales and um a lot of my income is commission-based and so um I love to see respiratory season. I want your kids to have flu. I want my kids to have flu. I want your kids to have strep throat. I want my kids to have strep throat. It's only for a few days and they'll be okay. So it's, (laughs) and my customers use my product. So anyway, um, but when it's not respiratory season, so let's say from the months of uh, April to August, it can tend to be a little bit of slow season. And within that time frame, it never fails. I could I can about pinpoint you, it's going to happen in May, and it's probably going to happen in June. There are going to be some slow, slow months for me. And my sales are probably not going to hit my quota number. And so that affects my income. And what happens to me is I fail to remember who God is and what he has done, and anxiety sets in. Like overwhelming anxiety to the point where I'm thinking about it all the time. What am I going to do? I didn't hit my number this month. How am I going to make this up? Do I need to go make one more call at the end of the day? Do I need to work a few more hours? Or do just whatever's going to happen and I don't do anything at all? overwhelming anxiety begins to seep in because now I've really started trusting in and really my own abilities as a rep and what have I done wrong? What can I be doing different? My joy is robbed. Like I've lost sleep over this kind of stuff. I become miserable. I become irritable. I fail to remember though That in almost my 13 years of being a sales rep for this company, God has never once failed me. God has never once caused me to not have a need go unmet. I fail to remember that my ability as a sales rep doesn't give me a source of identity, it's not my true source of security. My identity and my security come from me being a child of God, not from being a successful sales rep. I fail to remember who God is and what he has done in my entire life. And it brings so much anxiety on me. And some some of you that I mean that, that may be some of the cases here this morning. Like you may be feeling anxiety over things this morning. Maybe you're feeling like a failure in areas. Maybe you're feeling uh, there's lack of contentment in your own life. Maybe you're feeling restless, joyless. And I would just ask you, are you failing to remember who God is and what he's done for you? Because no matter what we do, whether you're in sales, whether you're in retail, whether you work in a factory, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you work as in the medical field, whether you're a school teacher or whether you're a student. Our security and identity doesn't come from our ability there and whether or not we are successful or not successful. It comes from, from from remembering who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. So let's remind ourselves who God is and what he has done for us. Just as Tim Keller says, the root of our disobedience is essentially failing to remember who God is. The reverse is true, okay? For as long as we remember who he is, we'll experience joy and freedom. We will serve him out of that joy, out of that freedom. We will not become enslaved to anxiety or failure. So who is God? And what has he done for us? I mean, we can even look here, like Israel's story that God is reminding Israel of. I brought you out of the land of Egypt into the, excuse me, into the land that I promised you I would give your fathers. Like, their, Israel's story is our story. Their story of rescue and deliverance from Egypt is our story of a covenant-keeping, rescuing God. Just as he was a good father and he kept his word day after day and time after time, we still have the same good father who promises to meet our needs, who promises not to leave us or forsake us. And ultimately, we know that God is good because he gave us his very best gift in Jesus. We ultimately know that God will never leave or forsake us. We ultimately know that God is good to us. And that he is a promise-keeping God because he gave us his best gift, Jesus. You see, our story climaxes at the very story that the whole that history climaxes at. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we could look back on our lives and we could have floods of wonderful memories. We can look back on our lives and have floods of painful memories. And we can still know that Jesus is, that God is good to us because he has given us his best gift in Jesus by remembering that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us for our sin. I love that last song. Jesus. Thank you. That's such a beautiful reminder of what Christ has done for us (coughs) by remembering that our sin was placed on Jesus on the cross that we don't have to answer for any past present or future sin. By remembering that we have been rescued from the sin from sin of, from sli- sin of sla- uh from the slavery of sin <laughs> I stayed up too late watching Netflix <clears throat> By remembering that our rebellion our disobedience to the father has been all laid upon Jesus so that we can be rescued from it and enjoying a restored relationship to Him. So remembering who God is and what He has done for us is absolutely necessary for us to experience the freedom from sin, the freedom from anxiety, the freedom from feeling like a failure. So as we come to the end of 2015... There's no better time for us to stop and remember who God is and what He has done for us. And there are many, many ways that we can do this. Just this week, Don and I, we spent some time over breakfast. We actually had a breakfast where our kids were still asleep and it was quiet and we got to enjoy one another's company. And we just spent time talking about how God has been great to us in 2015 from the birth of our baby Eva to new friendships that have been made to God's just grace upon Fellowship Perigold and all the wonderful things that he's done for us. Even reminding ourselves of just how he's done all that even in the middle of our own sin. You know, another way that, that we want to practice that as your pastors, we meet for elders meeting every other Thursday afternoons and we begin each elders meeting by reminding and listing out the things that we see God doing in our church. And it reminds us of who God is and what He's done for us. We spent an, uh, a whole Friday a few weeks back planning for 2016 and we started it out. We started it out. Listing the things that God had done for us, remembering who he is and what he's done. And the list just went on and on and on for how good he has been to us. Remembering who God is and what he has done for you and I is absolutely necessary for our lives. And you know what happens when we do that, when we stop and we smell those roses and we think about how good God is to us and everything he's done for us. You think about that memory that brings joy and laughter to your life. Well, that's what happens. When I think about who God is and what He's done, an overwhelming sense of joy comes into my life. When I'm when I'm in the middle of those bad months of sales, and I'm thinking, and I am feeling the weight and anxiety over all this, and I remind myself that God has never left me without. I remind myself that all my past sin, all my future sin has been nailed to the cross. I remind myself of all the works that he's done for me. Anxiety leaves and trust is built. My faith is built in who God is because he's never once failed me. And that's what happens when we begin to remember who God is and what he has done. And that joy just motivates me to trust him more, to go all in even more after him. I hope that each of us spend time this week, and I hope that we make it a regular practice in our lives to stop and remember how great God is and everything he's done for us. Moments that you, like me, and you feel anxious over situations, you feel joyless, restless, lack of contentment, things like that. I hope that you will take time to stop and remember who God is and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, your kindness towards us is undeserved. Your grace is something we don't don't deserve. I just think back to so many passages of Scripture that talk about us being uh, born your enemies, born children of wrath. And yet, out of your great love for us and out of your kindness, you sent your Son to take on all of our sin, to take on that wrath that we deserve so that we could experience more life and more freedom and more joy through you. Help us. Help these things be fresh on our hearts. Help these things be fresh on our minds. And may you strengthen by reminding us of who you are and what you've done. May you strengthen our faith. Strengthen our trust in you. Thank you, Father, that we have a God who will never leave or forsake us. Who will never once let us go without need. Who will never once let us... Let us down. Will never once turn his back on us. Just continue giving us reminders of how wonderful you are. In Jesus name. Amen.